Soon Gabby Baps, hey, hi, hello. It is wonderful for you to be able to see my beautiful face. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Chris and I run our Connect Kids Ministry on a Thursday night for kids in grades three to six at school. If you would like to know more, come talk to me. Subtle plug for the ministry. Today we are going to be reading from Luke chapter 18. I've got my Bible here. I'll be reading from the NIV. Um, follow along with me in your Bibles. So Luke chapter 18. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones, who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice, and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Well, day, Toon Gabby Baptist. Uh, it's really nice to be back with you again. I hope you're all doing well. Uh, we're looking today at Luke chapter 18. So let's ask for God's help uh, and then we'll have a look at the passage together. Let's pray. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, again for your word. And we thank you that in it we have uh, the full revelation of your Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, we thank you that he is the perfect image of you, the invisible God in heaven. And so please, Lord, as we read your word and as we particularly hear Jesus speaking today, uh, would you help us to understand him more? And we ask too that in understanding him, uh, you would help us to be the people who you're calling us to be in Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Uh, well, I wonder if you know the story of a man named Timothy Weeks. Timothy was an English teacher from Wagga Wagga. And a few years ago now, he was abducted at gunpoint uh, from outside of the American University in Kabul in Afghanistan. Uh, Timothy was imprisoned by the Taliban for three years. He was beaten. He was interrogated regularly. He was supplied with only uh, a minimum amount of food needed to survive. And during that three-year period, there were at least six rescue attempts made by U.S. Special Forces, uh, some of which came very, very close to actually uh, reaching him, but ultimately all six rescue attempts were unsuccessful. Uh, Timothy is quoted as saying, At times I felt as if my death was imminent and that I would never return to see those that I love again. I mean, can you imagine how easy it would be? Put yourself in Timothy's shoes. How easy it would be to give up hope in that situation, to just give in to despair, to lose faith that you will ever be rescued. I reckon that is probably what most of us uh, would do if we were in that situation, just lose all hope and give up. Well, eventually Timothy Weeks was released as part of a prisoner exchange program at the end of 2019. And he was reunited with his family after more than 1,200 days of separation. 
And remarkably, when he was interviewed after being rescued, uh, he's quoted as saying that, I had hope for the whole time. I knew that I would leave that place eventually, you know, despite the weight, despite the hardship. He didn't give up. He kept his faith the whole time. Uh, in verse 1 of Luke chapter 18, uh, Luke tells us the purpose of the passage that we are looking at today. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. <laughs> That's the purpose. And uh, can I say that as a preacher, finding a verse like that in the Bible is just music to our ears because we spend lots of time in preparing sermons, trying to understand and figure out, well, what is the purpose of this passage? Why is this here? What is God trying to teach us? And for whatever reason, Luke tells us his purpose for including this passage, this story here, this little episode. And so this, verse 1, is what this sermon is going to be about. It's going to be about praying and not giving up. Now, as, as we come to that topic, uh, it is helpful for us to remember uh, what has happened immediately before we get to these verses here. So if you can cast your mind back into chapter 17, remember that the, the Pharisees have asked Jesus that question in verse 20. They asked him, when will the kingdom of God come? And, and Jesus explains that the full and final coming of the kingdom of God, you know, the, the flowering of the kingdom of God, that is a, a yet-to-appear future reality. And so as a result, uh, Christians are living in a period of waiting. So look at verse 22 of chapter 17. Jesus says, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. You see, Jesus says that when it comes to the arrival of the kingdom of God, we are in a waiting period before he fully comes finally at the end of the age. And so our parable today about producing persistent prayerfulness, it's not just talking about prayerfulness in a general sense. It's talking about prayerfulness while we wait. Or to put it another way, it's about the battle for faith while we wait for the coming of the King and the kingdom of God. Jesus knows what it's going to be like to be a follower of his, waiting for his return. He knows that as his followers are going to look out on this world that they live in, that there's going to be so little to suggest to them that he's ever going to return. You know, it appears in this world as if everything's just going to keep on ticking over forever. And Jesus knows that if we live our lives for him, if we wait for his return, uh, that's going to bring about for us derision and, and mockery of the world. Uh, Jesus knows it's going to be hard. And so he, he wants us to keep going and to not lose heart, to not give up. Because when the Son of Man comes, he wants to find people who haven't given up. Because it's hard work waiting. Jesus wants to find people who have kept going, persistently praying and pleading for his return. And so he tells this little parable, this, this little story here, just eight verses, a story with two characters, a, a widow and a judge. And so the question as we read this part of the Bible, the question we should be asking is, well, how does this story teach us to always pray and to never give up, to, to have faith until he returns? How does it do that? 
well, I think the answer is that we've got to take a closer look at each of these two characters if we are going to see clearly our real need for justice, but also our real hope for justice. So let's take a closer look at the widow first and our need for justice. Now, uh, to be a widow in the ancient world was a, a pretty precarious state of affairs. You see, when your husband died, uh, most likely your source of income died too. Uh, unless you had a son or a brother who could take you in and take care of you, you were pretty much on your own. Uh, there was no social safety net, there was no pension plan, no life insurance. And, and so it seems that this widow in the story has been a victim of injustice somehow. Verse 3, she says, Grant me justice against my adversary. She's vulnerable, she's at risk, but she's not just going to lie down and take it, not just lie down and play the victim. No, she is determined to get justice. Uh, did you notice that the, the judge in verse 5 is worried that the widow might eventually come and attack him if he doesn't give her what she wants? And so uh, the image uh, in your head, if you've got that kind of stereotypical image of a, a nagging mother-in-law, well, you've got the wrong picture in mind. Uh, this widow has courage. She is forceful. Uh, she keeps coming to the judge, asking and asking and asking again, wearing him down until she gets the justice that she wants. Uh, and I wonder if you are familiar with that tactic <laughs> of persistent pleas until you get what you want. Uh, it's a tactic, let me tell you, that my children are pretty adept at. Uh, they seem to know how to kind of work the system perfectly to get what they want. What my kids will do is they will pick, you know, the most opportune time. Often it's when I uh, need to take a phone call. And so I, you know, I, I go to leave the room because, you know, it's an important phone call and I need to go and be in a place that's nice and quiet. Uh, but often it's not long before I sort of I turn around. I, I notice that I've been joined in the room by one of my kids and, and they'll start asking me, you know, in a kind of a roundabout way, Daddy, I'm hungry. Daddy, can I have something to eat? Daddy, uh, can I have something cold? And I know what they're asking for, but, you know, usually I'm just going to try and ignore them and just hope that they, they notice that I'm on the phone and leave me alone. But, of course, that doesn't work. And so then they start clarifying what they want. Daddy, can I have an ice block? Daddy, an ice block. I want an ice block, Daddy. Daddy, and so I'm, you know, then the shushing starts, you know, asking them, please be quiet. I'm on the phone, please. No, not you. No, no, you leave the room, please, please. But then the begging starts, please, Daddy. Please, Daddy. I'm hot, Daddy. Pleasey, Daddy. Pleasey, wheezy, Daddy. And usually by that point, if I haven't caved in, well, then there's one final tactic, of course the sad, blinky eyes that poor disadvantaged child without an ice block. And eventually, <laughs> the easiest way usually for me to silence them is just to give them what they want. Persistent pleading, it paid off. Uh, the difference in this case is that the widow's plea is just. And, and strikingly in this story, the widow is paralleled in verse 7 with the church. That's who she represents in this story, God's people. Look at there at verse 7. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? God's chosen ones, the church, that's us. We are all in a period of waiting. We've thought about that already. Chapter 17, verse 22. The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. 
for us, for his chosen ones, these days of waiting are days of frustration as we wait for the Son of Man to come. Uh, but they're not only days of frustration, actually. They're also days of, of personal loss. Uh, look back to verse 33 of chapter 17. Uh, Jesus says, Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. Which means that the Christian is someone who is standing shoulder to shoulder with Jesus, even if that means personal expense, as an unsympathetic world takes and we lose things rather than preserving our life and holding on. And so Jesus says the church in these last days is a church that cries out relentlessly day and night, verse 7. Not with that kind of repetitious chanting uh, as if you know we put God in our debt by the quantity of our prayers. That's not what Jesus means. Jesus has spoken against that kind of mindless chanting much earlier in Luke's gospel. No, this kind of persistent, relentless prayer, that's the heartfelt cry of people who are experiencing serious injustice at the hands of the world. It's the kind of prayer that you find in the Psalms over and over again. How long, O Lord? How long must I suffer at the hands of my enemies? It's, it's the kind of prayer at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, that book written to the persecuted church, where they cry out, Come, Lord Jesus. It's a persistent and a heartfelt cry for justice. And that, says Jesus... That is the character of the church in these last days. And I've got to say, as I read this description of the church, I feel the challenge of it. Because, you see, Jesus doesn't say that the church you know, may or, or may not occasionally be crying out to justice, for justice from him. No, Jesus says his elect are people who cry out to him day and night. Just let that sit with you for a second. Uh, that should beg the question, it does for me at least, why am I not more persistent in my cries for justice to God? Part of the answer to that, I suspect, is quite frankly that you and I are, are people who probably don't feel the sting of injustice very personally all that often. I mean, uh, yes, there are some people in Australia who lose their jobs for standing up for Jesus publicly. I grant you that. But for the most part, you and I get to live our lives peacefully following Jesus. And so there's just no real urgency for us to cry out for justice. And on top of that, I think most of us, and myself included here, we're just largely ignorant of how costly it is to be a Christian in many, many parts of the world right now. We're too busy and, and too distracted to know what it's like for others. And so it's, it's easier just to not know and to not care. One night uh, recently, I was lying in bed. It was around midnight and I got a message on WhatsApp from uh, a missionary friend of mine who's in a Muslim country. And it was a message asking me to pray uh, urgently for a particular need in their ministry, right then and there. And, and I saw this message come through on my phone from my friend, and I confess that I had an internal uh, wrestle for, for a, a second there. You know, w will I read this message right now, knowing what it will be about, or will I turn a blind eye to it and, and go back to sleep? It would certainly be easier if I didn't know about this injustice. I could sleep easier. 
I wonder if you've had that kind of a wrestle. The fact of the matter is, friends, that we live in a world that is drastically out of kilter with its created purposes and it is plagued by injustice and unrighteousness. And the challenge, I think, that we ought to feel as we read this passage is a challenge to learn to see the world the way God sees it. You know, rather than just being indifferent because it doesn't affect us right now or, or being too distracted to notice, we need to see it and we need to be grieved by the fact that for many of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world right now, there is no justice. And if we feel apathy about that, that's to our shame. We need to cultivate this hunger for justice because that hunger points us to God. That hunger is what makes people cry out, How long, O Lord? It's what makes people pray persistently, Come, Lord Jesus. When was the last time you were so provoked by the injustice that you see in the world that you prayed earnestly for the second coming of Jesus? That is what the example of this widow urges us. But if the widow in the story highlights like our need for justice, well, that actually does us no good unless the God that we are praying to is capable and willing to bring justice. And that's why we're going to look at the judge, the second character in this story, to see our hope for justice. Uh, the judge in this story, he's a great character, isn't he? He's, kind of, he's a man that you love to hate. <laughs> he's the kind of man who's evil and he knows it. You know, the narrator tells us at the start that this is a judge who neither fears God nor respects man. Uh, and then, in verse 4, you get the judge's inner monologue. And he knows it. <laughs> he has no compassion. He's indifferent to people. And he's not just. Uh, he's indifferent to God <laughs> and what God thinks too. It's a fascinating combination. What's going to happen if you take these persistent pleas for justice from this widow and you add in an inconsiderate, unjust judge? What do you get? Well, you get justice. <laughs> Let's read verses 4 and 5 again. For some time he, the judge, refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. You see, persistent pleas plus an uncaring judge equals justice, which is surprising, isn't it? And so, how much more should we expect justice if the judge is good and caring? Uh, that's kind of how this parable is supposed to work. It's meant to make us think, how much more? So think back to the example of my children and their persistent pleas for ice blocks. You know, how much more would they have gotten what they needed if they went to their mum, who is all compassion and maternal love? Uh, I mean, they may have discovered that what they needed was some more healthy food instead, but nonetheless, they would have gotten what they needed. Because in that moment, when I'm on the phone, their mother is filled with love and I'm just filled with frustration. So how much more, if you take persistent pleas for justice and you add in a considerate and loving judge, how much more will you get what you need? Because that is the picture of God that we see in this passage. He is considerate. And loving. Uh, it, it, it's striking, isn't it, that, that phrase that Jesus uses to describe the church in verse 7? Uh, Will not God 
bring about justice for his chosen ones. Uh, It's a description that speaks of God's loving purposes for his church. He has taken those people and he's, he's set them apart. He's chosen them. He's shed the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, for them. He cares deeply for them. They're, they're his beloved people. He's not indifferent to their cries. He's not aloof. He's listening because he loves them. He's loving, he's considerate, and he's just. Twice we're told that in verses 7 and 8. So how much more will God give his church what they need because of what he is like? I tell you, he will see that they get justice. And quickly, says Jesus. And and maybe as you read this passage, you stumbled over that word quickly. what, What could this possibly mean that they will get justice quickly? Well, it may mean a couple of different things. Uh, It may mean that there is a short period of time between the request for justice and the giving of justice. And if that's the sense that Jesus meant, well, then we need to keep in mind that God doesn't work according to the same time frames as we do. Remember in uh, Second Peter, we told that for the Lord, uh, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And so the time that's elapsed uh, since Jesus ascended to heaven until now is like 48 hours in God's kind of scheme and if he doesn't come for another thousand years or two it'll only have been three or four days you know his response to the cries of his people will have been quick that could be what jesus means but it might be actually that the quickness of god's justice means that when he does come justice will be executed swiftly he will deliver justice in such a way that makes everything else that's preceded that moment seem like the blink of an eye And if anyone wonders whether God is cold or indifferent, in that moment, when he delivers justice, all doubts will be dispelled. No one will doubt on that day whether God cared about the plight of his people. And so let me ask you another question, friends. Who is the God that you pray to? Remember the purpose of this parable, verse 1. The purpose is that we would pray and not give up. And so who is the God that you pray to? You know, whenever it is for you that you pray, uh, what, is, what is the portrait, what is the picture of God that you have in your head? The God who is on the receiving end of those prayers. What is he like? Is the God that you pray to a little bit apathetic? You know, do you think of him a little bit like the judge in this story? You know, he's indifferent to the plight of his people. He's, he's unconcerned about the world down here below, just letting it suffer. Perhaps that's the God you pray to. Perhaps the God that you pray to is a God who is serene and aloof, you know, like a great big Buddha in the sky with his arms crossed and his eyes closed, just uncaring and detached from the world beneath. Or maybe the God that you pray to, you know, is a bit of a bit of a hand-wringing God, you know. Of course he cares, but he's, he's powerless to do anything about it. He wishes he could change the course of history. He wishes he could make everything right, but he just can't. You know, history has spiraled out of his control. And like us, he's just doing his best to keep up. Who is the God that you pray to? That's a good question to reflect on. Uh, it, it might be a good question for you to mull over with others from your church and, and chat about today after the service. Because the reality of this parable is that God is a God who is all ears. He loves to listen 
to the prayers of his people. He is an edge of the seat God uh, who listens and who hears and who is moved by our requests and who is resolved that one day he will come and he will deal with injustice. He will wipe away every tear. He will do away with death. He will make everything right. That's the God we pray to. And so uh, whenever we pray, uh, we should work hard to remember the God that we pray to. Perhaps a good thing to do would be to take a moment or two to come back to a parable like this and to just reflect, who is the God that I am speaking to in this moment? And to remember what he is like. And, and maybe if you've noticed recently that your prayer life has dried up altogether, then I think you could do worse than spending some time reflecting and considering and bringing to mind the portrait of God that we have here. Because as you do that, you will be fueling your prayers so that you're not someone who just gives up and loses heart, but instead prays persistently. Because your prayer life really matters. Did you notice the, the sting in the tail at the end of this story in verse 8? That The pointed question that Jesus closes with? However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? See, our prayers aren't a ritual that we go through in order to get right with God, as if you know, everyone is a little tick in our column as a kind of a way of making God a little bit more pleased with us than he was before we prayed that prayer. No, that's not what our prayers are. Our prayers are not also you know, self-help mantras that we recite in order to, to get ourselves into a better frame of mind and, and to keep going through the tough things of life. No, our prayers are a vital and vibrant expression of faith. In other words, you could say that our prayers are a demonstration of the fact that we are people who are waiting and longing for the return of the Son of Man and the resolution of all things. You see, if we know that we live in a world that is marked by injustice, and if we know that there is someone who can deal with that injustice once and for all, and in fact he's promised that he will one day, well, those two things should collide together to produce in us prayerfulness or faith as it's put here. It should be that we cry out day and night, trusting God to make things right one day. We are people of faith and that faith should issue in prayer. And that, says Jesus, is what the Son of Man will be looking for when he comes on that day. He will be looking for faith. He'll be looking for prayerfulness for his return. The, the question there at the end of verse 8 has a really pointed quality to it. Uh, it's designed, I think, to kind of get under our skin, to make us a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit unsettled. At, because Jesus is asking that question of us. Will he find this kind of faith in you when he comes? You know, in, in our respective corners of the kingdom of God, uh, as those who follow Jesus, will we be characterized like this widow is by persistent prayer? Or will we lose heart and give up? What I want to do as I close is just to let that question do its work. Uh, I want to ask this question one more time in the hope that it does the job that Jesus uh, suggested it would do. That job, verse 1, of making us want to pray and to never give up. So let me ask you one more time. Turn Gabby Baptist. When the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on the earth?
Let me pray. Just and righteous God, we thank you that you are all ears to our prayers. We thank you you are nothing like this judge in this story, but instead you are a God who can and will deal with injustice. Lord, help us to be people who constantly, day and night, cry out for justice, not just for our own sakes, but for the sakes of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are suffering, even today. Help us to have that kind of faith, that issues in prayer, because we know that that is what the Lord Jesus will be looking for when he returns. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus and find us ready. Amen.